May I just congratulate you on your xylophone playing? Thank you very much. It's a skill that's seldom heard from me. Really. And I wasn't expecting, but no. there we are. Um, welcome. Welcome to Two Old Chuffs and A Tale of Two Hospices. So this is our first podcast from Cornish charity Cornwall Hospice Care. And we hope to be able to share all sorts of stories from our, around our charity. But this is podcast one, mm-hmm. so bear with us as we learn as we go along, Absolutely. which is always the best way to learn. So who are we? Well, who are you? Well, I am uh, Gina Starnes, and I'm the Director of Clinical Services here, which can mean anything from um, sorting Christmas decorations to managing complex situations on the unit. And I'm Tamsin Thomas, uh, and I look after PR and communications here. So I'm certainly not front line, but uh, I get to talk about our charity. I get to talk. You do? You're good at that. <laughs> Don't let me overtake, all right? No, okay. You butt in if you need to. Um, but why are we here? I was thinking about this when I was driving in today. Why are we sitting doing a podcast? I think we're here because um, it's really important that we get the word out about Cornwall Hospice Care. Um, and actually, it's a really important year for us, Tamsin. It's our 40th year of providing um, adult um, care in Cornwall. And I think um, for our end-of-life patients, we want that to increase um, over the next 40. And it's important that we look back and look forward and this seems a really great opportunity to do that. Have you ever done this before? Never, ever. Have you? Uh, a little bit, a okay. little bit. And I, I, I thought about it last night. And I was thinking, should I have listened to thousands of podcasts and should I have drawn on other people's inspiration? And I thought, no, do you know, we're best just going it our way, aren't we? I think so. I yeah. think winging it is, is quite important. So I'm, I'm going to... Well, thank you. <laughs> As, yes, oh, ba yes, yes, There we the go. Goofy. So I'm going to ask you uh, a, a bit about you now. Okay. Bear with me. Tell me to stop if I get too intrusive. But what gives you the right to be here? What's your background? Well, my background um, feels like a, a long while ago now. I um, I want, always wanted to do nursing. My um, grandma died at home and I thought that was a really good death for her. And that inspired me then to go and to do some nursing training. Um, and the reason that I didn't um, train in my local hospital at the time was because actually they were, it was those heady days when they were training nurses and then they had too many nurses to take on at the end of the day. So I wasn't guaranteed a post. Um, and so I went off and joined the army for 10 years. So I trained in the army um, and that's where my interest in oncology was. And um, I did some work at the Marsden. Um, and then I followed through and worked at a hospice because actually for me it was always end of life care which was important. Do you need and and well how does end of life care play out with the army? Then? Um, well, within the army we um, worked had a big oncology unit and so we looked after um, lots of army um, guys and ladies, but we also looked after um, dependents. And we also looked after, um, we had some great fun with the Chelsea pensioners. Um, So actually for us, it was about providing care within that community as well. Um, So most of that was done in um, Woolwich. My last five years was in Woolwich. Um, And then from there, actually, um, you know, with with often with oncology end of life care is is part of that journey for for some people um and it was really important for me to get it right even at that time so do you know you've yeah. to, it's funny you. what you don't think about isn't it and what you forget is that terminal illness or or even an illness that might become terminal 
can affect you at any time. Yes, it it didn't yeah. do, I always think yeah. of the army as being fit, healthy young people yeah. all racing about. Yeah, and and the majority and the majority are. Um, I wasn't necessarily you know all that fit and racing about, but fit enough. Um, but actually, um, you know, there are cancers which affect people at, at different stages, and actually, you you don't know. So for me, it was um, one of the things that I loved about the army, and also um, kind of followed through into end of life care is the fact that actually there's there's no set rules. You can actually just... You don't know what's going to come through the door at any time. So that was really important for me. So you, so really you evolved from that moment that your yeah, grandma died at home. Yeah, absolutely. And was that expected? Do you mind me asking? No, of course or? I don't mind. No, it was expected. She had, um, she had cancer of the bowel and um, had gone through lots of... Um, she hadn't had chemotherapy, but she had lots of surgery... And, and our decision then at the time was to, to do what we could do for her at home. So I was 15 when she died at home. Um, so quite important for me to be able to kind of have that, have that relationship with her then. And I always remember the one thing that she said on her, on her very last day was that she wanted a lavender hedge. She was thinking of lavender hedges. So that stayed with me all this time. So I always love a lavender hedge. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My, my Labrador likes a lavender Fantastic. hedge because he eats the honeybees oh, really? or chases the honeybees around it. But you see, isn't it funny yeah, what stays in your mind? Yeah, I've not experienced anyone dying at home Ironically, my mum was here at Mount Edgecombe Hospice, where we're recording this podcast, um, though she died at the local, what was then the Cottage Hospital, sadly now closed. Um, But it's an experience. I'm sure we're going to look at this, because you and I talk about death. We do. But in a really positive way. Yeah, it is. And and for me, actually, you know, it's... um, it's, it's going to happen, and it'll happen at some point to all of us. It's one of those one certainties, really. Um, so for me, it's really important to try and get it as right as we can. And, of course, working where we work, it's a, yeah. a, a, death is a part of life, I heard someone say the other day, and I, I do get that. But, of course, it's not just about death, is it? No. It's about all that comes before it. That, that's why I find, personally, working for this charity and being able to come into the hospice a privilege, it is absolutely I think it's um and and looking after people and our our teams that do that and have involvement with with patients and their families I think you know they would all say exactly the same thing people um feel very humbled when they look after somebody that's at end of life and to be able to get it right is hugely important and gives you know huge satisfaction huge job satisfaction but it's more than that Indeed, and over the coming months, because we're determined to make mm, this work, yeah. uh, we will be talking about all these subjects. And I'm hoping that people will join in, will will ask us questions uh, and give us subjects they want to hear about. So, hello, uh, you're listening to Two Old Chuffs, A Tale of Two Hospices. And this is the new podcast from Cornwall Hospice Care. Gina, what do you want to get out of a podcast? Well, now I've kind of looked up and found out what one is. <laughs> what one is? <laughs> and yeah. had a little look yesterday, like you, I think, at how people did it before. For me, it's about getting the, the word out there about the hospice, but also it's about that integration in, because actually people have a very um, fixed view sometimes about what a hospice is, what they do, what it's like, um, and... I would really like to encourage the people of Cornwall to to ask those questions and to see if we can um, bust a few myths around perhaps what the hospice is for people. 
Do you know, I'm right on, on that with you because I can remember when I first joined Cornwall Hospice Care, which was nearly six years ago, I was talking to a former BBC colleague of mine mm-hmm. and she did that thing, I don't know if it happens yeah, no, to you, where I said, oh, I'm going to work for Cornwall Hospice Care and her voice dropped yes. and she said, oh, how's that going to be? And I thought, why are you whispering? Yes. I said, well, I'm really looking forward to it. And we had a conversation and I said, what... what Describe for me what you think a hospice is. And she described a Victorian workhouse yes, I've had to a T. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, a, somebody who works uh, for the BBC, is a very bright person. And I stared at her, and she's been in since here. And boy, talk about challenging a perception. Yeah. Completely blew her out of the water. Because the first thing she said was, oh, it's light. Yeah, as if you keep everybody in a dark room. I, I think that's that's what we hear a lot of the time from both um, professional colleagues and from um, patients who come in. But actually from that first, you know, um, hello from the volunteer receptionist to, you know, walking through across our lovely concourse, it is lovely and bright. And actually, you know, there's a lot of laughter in the hospice. Actually, you know, we want to make it as, as normal as possible for people. And that's what I love, that normal life goes on, uh, which can sound a bit harsh. But having been here as a a relative, actually the normality of what goes on, I don't know, it brought me a comfort. I can't, it's hard to describe, but the fact someone was laughing down the corridor or, or, well, I, I wrote a blog not long ago about when my dad was dying, though it wasn't in a hospice, that we were very close to the moment he was going to die. My, I was, my, I and my uh, Sharon were sat opposite him, and we'd run out of things to say, and we were just kind of staring at each other, and it was all a bit awkward. And Dad was lying between us, and then way down the corridor, someone started singing, "I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts," yeah, <laughs> and we both burst out laughing, which might seem a bit odd. But it was absolutely fine. It, you know, it just broke that, that yeah, duck. Broke and, and I love that you come in here, sometimes there's dogs. Yes. The pack dogs are absolutely. here or, or a, a relative's dogs and there's children running around and um, there's people chatting in corners and perhaps sharing a joke or on the phone. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important that people hear that times in it and that they're involved in it. So actually, you know, um, we've had people in and dressed up for Christmas recently and actually, you know, you, you can't hide people away from it. And people are often coming in with their families, so they're going, you know, they're going away to um, to celebrate or to think or to reflect afterwards. And it's really important that we can we can share what's happening in the in the world here. One, one of the bubble. Have I ever told you the story of Christmas here? Because mm-hmm. you're a singer, aren't you? I do, yes, I do a bit. Yes, yeah, and I'm not. <laughs> Uh, And I was doing a volunteer shift and um, one of the nurses came out and said, we've got a bit of a problem. Every Christmas, this little group of people come and sing in the corridor some carols. But some of them are poorly, so they're short numbers. We need to rally people to sing. I said, well, no, I can't do this. And she said, no, no, you can. So a group of us stood uh, in the corridor and we we rattled our way through all these um, carols. And then I went to do the hot drink round and I went into this one patient and she was in tears. And I said, oh, are you? can I get you someone? And, you know, is everything yeah. all right? And she said, no, no. She said, who was singing in the corridor? And okay. I said, why? And she said, I have never laughed so much. How fantastic. And she literally had tears, tears of laughter pouring down her cheek. And I, I've never forgotten that. So my public singing stopped 
at that then. point, sadly. You just mouth. Uh, yes, yeah, I pretend yeah. now uh, and do a lot of clapping or, you know, swaying, which is fine. For me, the other thing is I, I want to enjoy and share conversations. And I think I said to you, when Dad died, I was sat in one of our offices and there happened to be a couple of colleagues, a volunteer. And one of them said, how is it? How are you? And we started talking about death. And it was one of the best conversations, impromptu. Yeah. We laughed. I think we had a little cry. Um, and we sh- we talked, well, we went off all over the place. And, and I thought, what a privilege that was. But why can't we do that for everyone? Yeah. You know, even if you only want to listen to the conversation and not join in, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. And we don't talk enough about it, really. I think, you know, we kind of want to put it into that too difficult box sometimes and life gets in the way. But actually, um, for me, you know, it's a huge comfort to have thought about, um, you know, perhaps how things might be for you, for those people that are left. And that's the way that I look at it. I have um, had bereavements where um, people have thought about that and they haven't. And actually, it's so much easier to know that you're doing the right thing for that person who's died because they've told you. They've either written it down or they've they've been clear about what they want. And um, and for me, that was one of the most comforting things was knowing that you'd done the right thing because it was, you know, somebody that you loved and it was their wishes. Um, and that felt very different to perhaps thinking, well, I'm not quite sure whether they'd want this or they'd want that or they'd want this song or... It's it's those things for funerals and for, for afterwards that, that you're left with. But even those conversations about the last weeks or yeah. months m- must be important too. Yeah, and, and I know they are. Do you find here we trigger those conversations sometimes? I think we do. We, we try to get people to, to think about those conversations in a, in a very gentle way. Um, and we go at the pace that patients and families want to go. And that's not always at the same pace. So actually you might be... Um, having one set of conversations with the patient and having another set with with one family member and then supporting them to have conversations with others. So our team absolutely would want to help that. So, you know, we involve all the nursing staff in that um, and our counsellors as well and our our medical colleagues. Um, But also the people that are are important are people like the catering team who are in every day to the the wards. Um, and also the housekeepers, they, you know, they're the people sometimes that are there when actually nobody else is and they're, you know, just doing their job and people will talk to them because actually they're, they're not in a, in, a, in a uniform the same as a clinical team. And so they, they also need to be aware of, of those kind of conversations too. And of course, um, our shop staff. Absolutely. Uh, who often have people come in to donate yeah. items because someone's yeah. died and suddenly they're exposed yeah. to conversations or, 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 or trying to help people yeah. who are in a difficult place. I think it's really important that we don't forget that huge um, uh, army, to, to go back to where we started, of, of staff supporting the hospice because absolutely you're right. Um, and those can be really difficult conversations for people often. They're on their own, they're busy doing 120 other things but actually it's about taking the time to think about perhaps where their um, bag of, of goods have, have come from and you know it's that extra question it's asking if people are okay being able to signpost them to some support if they need it so it's really important for us that actually all of our um, volunteers and staff know what we offer and what we do and can um, allay some of those fears and questions 
Did you know, do you like a fact now and then? I do, yes. Did you know that we uh, have, since last April, so 2019, recycled or, or taken, donated goods and sold them on? Fantastic. One million items. That is fantastic, isn't it, really? That's extraordinary. I can't imagine, I can't imagine how the picture huge, of how no, that would look. Yeah. No, that's incredible. Well, there's really? a nice positive fact yes, to end on. Good. Shall we do this again? Let's do it again. Brilliant. Like I look forward to that. Um, so if you want to join in and perhaps tell us how we're doing, maybe not, um, or you've got a question to ask or a subject you'd like to hear more about, drop us an email, communications at cornwallhospice.co.uk. And then we're going to be back in a couple of weeks uh, because, as Gina said, it's our 40th anniversary this year. But I've actually been talking to, and you're going to love this lady, mm-hmm. Barbara. Barbara has been volunteering for us for 45 wow. Wow. years. Because, of course, what people forget is that Before, the, the, yeah. the hospice opened 40 yeah. years ago, but there was five years of feverish fundraising. So we'll, we'll have a listen to her next time. Thank you for your company. Do join us again. We're two old chuffs, a tale of two hospices. <laughs>